Hello, 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 and welcome back to the 90 Min Podcast. I am, and probably always will be, Chris Dealey, uh, and I'm joined by the site's senior correspondents, Aidan Cusick. Hello. Scott Saunders. Hello. And Jamie Spencer. Hello. We're all kind of reeling from the weekend's Premier League action. Uh, four of the top six dropping points yet again. Uh, so we're just going to be throwing around some chat about the title race until we can come up with some kind of vague idea of who's going to win the thing. We'll go to Arsenal first after they dropped from first to third over the course of the weekend. Is this beginning to look like the uh, the inevitable Arsenal stutter that could doom them? It's, it's difficult. I mean, they, they were definitely outplayed by Chelsea. Uh, on Sunday, even before Murtasaka's red card, I mean Chelsea looked on top. If it had been eleven versus eleven for the course of the game, I mean Chelsea could really have come away with a win anyway. It just so happened that obviously Arsenal did play the game with ten men and did lose the game because of a much improved Diego Costa, which is strange to see. But to be honest, I, I think it's one of those seasons where there's a bunch of teams at the top that are ne- not really going to find brilliantly consistent form I don't think any of the teams up there are going to go on a run of like eight eight games consecutively winning I think it's just going to keep going in this way until the end of the season I think Arsenal will remain up there until the end it's really difficult to call though yeah, I think it's really difficult to call is um, it's possibly going to be the most used phrase among absolutely anything discussing the title race over the next couple of months unless something drastic happens. Point on Arsenal. I didn't realise that they'd only won two of their last six games. Yeah, they've not won in three now. No, well, they've not won in three. They've only won two games since Christmas. It's not really the kind of form that you would associate with somebody being top of the league until obviously this weekend. So I think the thing with Arsenal, though, they've... They have got players to come back. Obviously, Sanchez came on at the weekend. They're yet to get him at his fittest this season. Uh, if Danny Welbeck can come back and, and Jack Wilshere can come back too, then that would really strengthen them in the latter stages of the season. Yeah, and you've got uh, Francis Coquelin's close to coming back as well. He should be back in the next week or two. Yeah, forgot about him. He's probably as important. And Santi Cazorla's back too. So it's um, the, the midfield's still got a lot of... I mean, the midfield's barely at half strength at the moment. I mean, they're starting Matthew Flamini, who devastatingly lost his first ever home game at the Emirates this week. First time he's ever lost a league game for Arsenal at the Emirates. Good that he was partially at fault as well, because he had two really, really good chances in that game in the first half. Yeah, well, he's not a very good footballer. I think that's, that, that's the problem. He's a, a brilliant businessman by all accounts, though. Yeah. <laughs> Super. He probably doesn't care anymore. He's going to be a billionaire anyway. He's going to be Iron Man. <laughs> the point on Jack Wilshere, actually, we brought we brought um, brought up Jack Wilshere just now, and uh, I think it's quite a cool stat that I saw come out. Dele Alli uh, has already equaled his total Arsenal goal tally in the league, I believe, <laughs> <laughs> after about five months of uh, Premier League football. Yeah, well, I mean, I saw something last week that Wilshere is close to signing a new five-year contract with Arsenal on a. About 110 grand a week. Now, this is a man who's not played 20 league games. He's not started more than 20 league games in a season since 2010 11. He's first season as well. Yeah, and there's there's two two seasons when he's not played any games at all up to this point uh, since then. I mean, that sounds like an absolutely ludicrous idea. It sounds like desperation to have like one of your own in the team for long term. Because at the moment, Arsenal's one of their own are like are players like Walcott and Oxide Chamberlain, who they didn't actually produce themselves. Usher is that guy that's the local Arsenal own produced talent. And maybe they could sign Harry Kane. <laughs> Can only hope that's a pay as you play deal. Then surely they wouldn't give him five years knowing that and and agree to pay him regardless of whether he's in the team or not. 
Well, yeah, you'd hope so, but that's um, that's what's being put out there at the moment. Obviously, everything you've got to take with something of a pinch of salt. But um, it's such a financially careful club as well. That's kind of uh, shocking. <laughs> they are, but they, they a lot of the club do seem to have a massive blind spot with Jack Wilshire because I mean, let's be honest, he's not that good. He's all right. He just runs around and fouls people a lot <laughs> and gets injured, obviously. Ankles made of glass. He was getting into good form, like when he did come back at the very end of last season, and then he took that into uh, into that England game. I can't remember who it was against Slovenia or someone pretty nondescript, but yeah, then then struck down again. He can't really string form together. I do think he's a good player, though. Hence why I mentioned him before. But yeah, there are probably players that are in a more pressing need of of being put back in the first team. Yeah, I think I think they'd be they'd rather Cochrane and Cazorla back. Yeah. Before Wilshire. Now speaking of injuries, Manchester City have their share. I think today it's come out that Vincent Company's looking at another six weeks on the sidelines as City ship goals again and again and again. Two more on the weekend against West Ham. Uh, a result which meant that City have not won back-to-back Premier League games since the fifteenth of October. I mean that's. Given that, it's absolutely ludicrous that they're in the title hunt at all, never mind three points off the top and in second place. Just the nature of the season, though, isn't it? It's, it's like with Arsenal, how could they have stayed up when they haven't won games themselves? Yeah, it's it's a bit it's a bit of a nonsense. I mean, do we see do we see City picking up? Aguero's back, looks fully fit, scored two again on the weekend. Do we see City starting to pick up, starting to show a bit more consistency now? Or do we think it's going to be pretty much more of the same, certainly until company comes back and actually strengthens that defence properly? I think of all of the teams that are sort of in the mix, City seem like the most likely to be able to flip a switch and put it together at any given moment. I mean, you say they, they, they're miss, they missing company. If you actually look at the games that they've drawn in this little run of alternating wins and draws they've drawn nil nil twice so that's not really a defensive issue they drew against uh, nil nil against Leicester in, in December and nil nil against Everton uh, a couple of weeks ago I don't really know what the issue with them is it seems to be any given week they can play quite well against Crystal Palace last weekend they were actually never out of second gear really it was like deathly quiet at the Etihad and they just cruised to a 4 nil win without really doing a lot so I think on any given day they can and of all the teams that are in it, they have the most potential to suddenly turn it on. Not really a, a glowing review of them, but you know. Yeah, I tend to agree. I was obviously talking to um, Trevor Sinclair this morning, and he he said if he had to put money on it, then he'd probably go for City. But it's you are wasting your money if you bet on the title race this season. It's just entirely a coin toss. I'd, I'd agree with that. I think City have perhaps the best individuals I'd say especially in attack I mean Sergio Aguero is the best striker in the division when he plays <laughs> um, when he's fit uh, I think he'll go on a bit of a score and run until he gets injured again because I think he's got at least another injury in him before the season finishes but interestingly City's next two games are against Leicester and top uh, next two home games sorry are against Leicester and Tottenham the start of next month after a game with Sunderland so that could be troublesome troublesome for them, or it, it it might give us a better idea of who's actually strong enough to win the title. Yeah, I'll be honest, I can see them doing a number on Leicester until this weekend. Leicester has started to look like they were beginning to drop away, but then a, a very impressive win over what's been a, a decent Stoke team. There's there, there is no um there's there's almost no point looking at form 
because it doesn't seem to make an absolute jot of difference. If City were to win those those two games in particular, if they were to get nine points from, from those two in Sunderland, then I think that would be a real springboard, springboard for them to go on and win it, wouldn't it? I, I, can't, I couldn't look beyond City if they did manage to beat Spurs and Leicester. I think that would put them in a really good position to, to go and bring it home. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But, of course, the issue is then actually winning those games. Yeah. I'm looking at Leicester's fixtures now as well, and uh, they have Liverpool at home, City and Arsenal in the next three. Well, that's one nailed on win then at the moment. <laughs> They're going to be some exciting games, I think. Yeah, they are. I mean, the other thing to consider with City, of course, is that they're in all four competitions at the moment and challenging in all four competitions. Whether or not they get knocked out of the Capital One Cup this week, we've yet to see. But when you've got, when you're relying on players like Aguero, who have that massive uh, injury question mark hanging over them, there's a lot of, um, you've got a lot of trouble as to when to play and when to rest him. I think it's interesting because people always just say as a given that City have the strongest squad of anybody but I don't think that's necessarily the case because it is quite thin you know like beyond Aguero you've got Boney who's been injured and then you've got Kelechi Iheanacho is like the next option so basically a teenager that's only just come into the first team they're not that strong Yes, yeah, I think City have the strongest first team. Yeah. And they've got a couple of they've got a couple of very strong individuals behind behind that first team, especially in midfield, but what once that's gone it's um it's pretty thin. You're looking at about 15 or 16 players, which isn't really that much and it's 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 weird that people just sort of oh yeah, City have got the best squad like without even sort of giving it a second thought, but if you actually look at it, it's it's not really all that. Yeah, it's it's um it's true. I mean, I think in terms of squad, Arsenal Arsenal have to be right up there, but the amount of injuries they've had to specific positions, and obviously they've got very little up front. Honestly, I don't think that anybody has a particularly strong squad at this moment in time. No, I'd agree. And I think that's I think that's um, it's something that's come up before. I don't think that's necessarily the fault of the clubs buying badly. I think it's more to do with the way the Premier League money structure has gone, where normally, you know, you'd have your players like your Dimitri Payet and your John Joe Shelby. If anyone's being bought for like 12 to 14 million, they're being bought by a title contender for that money traditionally. Uh, but now the, the bigger players can come in from overseas. Andre Ayew would never have gone to Swansea 10 years ago. But because there's so much more money available to the clubs lower down the table, it's um, diluting the strength of the top teams and making the league as a whole probably slightly stronger. Yeah, I agree with that entirely. Gone are the days when you have somebody like Chelsea. You've got one player and a backup for every position. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. That that's just not going to happen anymore. I'm trying to think of a really good example of when, because um, I agree with that completely. What you said, Chris, and I'm just trying to think of an example of when a, a bigger team did take someone on just for the sake of having them as backup. Alexis Smerton at Chelsea. Anybody that Chelsea bought between about 2005 and 2007. Perhaps. If there's a 15 to 20 million pound player playing for a lower table club, I think the next place they go is Liverpool. Because I think Liverpool massively, monumentally overpay for players who have been quite good for a season or half a season in the lower half of the league. They've done it with Benteke, they've done it with Lallana, they've done it all over the place. Of, of their of their nine 20 million pound or more signings in the last uh, six or seven years... There's been maybe one, one maybe two unqualified successes. Uh, obviously, Suarez has been the main one, and I think it's starting to kind of filter down that buying up the players who have been quality 
elsewhere in the Premier League for massive amounts of money isn't necessarily the best investment anymore. That or Liverpool are just really, really bad at it. I would say it's probably the latter of those two things. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not something Klopp's ever done. Um, I think the biggest outlay he, he ever spent at, um, at Dortmund was, was around, was it £19 million for... Mkhitaryan. Well, yeah, I think that's the biggest, the, the most he's ever spent. And I think after that, it was around 12 million for Marco Royce. So I, I think Klopp will probably dissuade the decision makers from continuing down that route and, and maybe persuade them to, to trust in him a little bit more and, and find rough diamonds and get better value for money. And there's far less pressure that way on, on the players coming in. That's true. And that, that's what makes this um, Alex, I want to say Teixeira. Teixeira. As in, why would you invite your girlfriend up to my bedroom with the pair of us to share her? <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad you got it. Really anyway, uh, but yeah, I mean that's that's what makes this that move even more bizarre. It's not a signing that you know. It's bringing a player who's not got Premier League experience into a a packed area of the squad, even if it is packed with underperformers. For a massive amount of money, that it, it doesn't it fits the fact that Liverpool have been very very bad in the transfer market lately. But other than that, it makes next to no sense. Maybe they've seen what um, you can get from Shakhtar because I always think there was a bit of a stigma attached to the Brazilian players at Shakhtar, like they were mercenaries and they were just there on big wages. But when you look at what Willian has done at Chelsea, obviously he came via Angie Makashkala. But as well, Douglas Costa at Bayern Munich, I think people have been surprised by how good they actually are. So maybe there is something to be said for looking at Shakhtar's Brazilian players with a bit more of an open eye. Oh, I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad sign. I think he's a very, very good player. But I just don't think he's in any way, shape or form the right signing for Liverpool or a signing that makes any kind of logical sense for them right now. I mean, there's so many more positions that they need to strengthen. I mean, he kind of counts as a goal scorer, but he's not a striker. Unless they just see... They think they can convert him into being a centre forward, and and that's what they're going to do. I don't know. Twenty five million for a for someone who has scored as as many goals as he had or has, albeit in in Ukraine, is is quite a good price. But then when you consider that he's not actually a striker, it's, it's a big risk. But anyway, uh, Liverpool. We can talk as much as you like about Liverpool. They're not in title contention. They're even in the top half at this point, they probably are. They did they did actually beat Norwich in the end, didn't they? Yeah. Um, they didn't deserve any credit for winning that match. Just not in the slightest. Absolutely not. Every goal that was scored after 2-1, I think, or after 3-1 was like a gift. Yeah, that, that was honestly one of the worst games of football I've seen all season. <laughs> one of the worst best. <laughs> Close. Great scoreline. Just the worst quality. It could have been an under-21 C team game. <laughs> But anyway, that's we're still talking about Liverpool and we shouldn't because um, they're bad at football. Uh, so let's move to another team who play in red. Manchester United. Louis van Gaal insisted before the weekend that they were still in the title race. I kind of agreed at the time. They lost 1-0 against Southampton and I think it would be something of a stretch to say that they're in the title race now. Yeah, uh, it's, it's horrible. It, it's really bad watching Man United. I mean, I didn't watch the full game this weekend against Southampton, but from, just from the highlights, you can just tell. Uh, it's just every game you watch United play, you can predict exactly how it's going to go. They don't score goals at home in the first half of games. 
They have one shot on target per game. I mean, this weekend, I think their one shot on target was from Daily Blind from about 30 yards out. I could be wrong on that, but I think... No, I think you're right. And they, they just don't... They're so predictable. They're so boring. And if it was going to change at all, Van Gaal would have surely have had to have done it by now because he's under too much pressure not to change it. He's His methods are... They're, they're acceptable if the results are coming, but the, the results are not coming at the moment. And I mean, United need to be winning a fair chunk of their games and they need to be right in Champions League contention for Van Gaal to not have that much pressure on his head. But they are five points off the Champions League places now and it just they have the second strongest defence in the league, but at the same time, their attack is poor um, and it just shows no signs of improving. So, I mean, they may technically or mathematically still be in the title race, but they just... They're miles behind the rest. Yeah, I, I watched the game on Saturday, and and I I have to agree with that. It's it's just it's so hard to see how they're gonna. They they need to change uh, to improve and to get back in title contention, but it's just so hard to see that happening. The, the way they play, it's sort of cautious from Van Gaal to to set them up the way he does and and encourage them to play the way how they do. But at the same time, it's it's a really risky brand of football because it's only ever going to be won by like the odd goal either way if that makes sense the way they're set up they're either going to win one nil or draw nil or lose one nil like i know there was the three three at newcastle the other week but that was that was a bit of a, a freak result well e- even then i think united still only had four shots on target in the entire game yeah so i think in in his attempts to be more cautious and kind of nick victories there's just so much risk involved because they're not doing enough to win football matches. So it's so easy for them to just concede a goal and, and lose a game just like that. Poor margin for error. Yeah. Mm. I was going to say, um, to add to that, you mentioned just a minute ago or so that you actually believed Van Gaal when he said that they were still in the title race before before that loss. And, and I would say that I, w- I would agree with that as well because they were in, in a season like this. There was only, at that time, seven points from the top. In a season like this, a, a, a run of games, and you would suddenly be right back right back there. So I, I certainly accepted that and agreed with that at the time. And I think it has changed significantly just over this course of, of one sort of 90-minute spell because 10 points, although is only three more than seven, 10 is like a you know when you get double figures into the equation, that's suddenly a much bigger gap, you know, the, the way that you sort of perceive it. I think the issue for me here is that with Van Gaal, and it's now coming to a point where it's like David Moyes-esque, and I don't mean that because it's bad, because they're losing and stuff. I mean that because the point at which I lost patience, lost faith in David Moyes was quite late on in the season. There was a lot of United fans that were calling for his head within the matter of weeks. I was on side until about March, April. And it was that point where they were losing heavily against teams like Everton, City, Liverpool. And every week he would come out and say things like, but we played really, really well. It's just going to be a matter of time before we start winning. And I don't know if it was because he was trying to lessen the pressure and say that they played well because they really didn't in those games. and Or if he just couldn't see that it was as bad as it was. And Van Gaal's entered that same sort of territory now. The results aside, the performances aside. The fact that every game he comes out and says the same thing like it's the process or the opposition defended really well and made their entire game plan to keep us out or something like that. And he, he won't 
accept or he refuses to see or he doesn't know how to change to make it any different and i think that's the the key point at this moment in time with regard to him with regard to his future at the club well he he did say this week didn't he that that he he had to start taking responsibility i think he said um he's frustrated that he's not filling the expectations that the fans have of him and that that they were right to boo so i mean it's a start taking responsibility though isn't the same as accepting that you need to change you could say right it's my fault but we're still going to do it this way doesn't make a difference. I don't. I don't see him saying that as as like a, a an acceptance that he will change things. I think. I, I don't know. It's just. Well, you d- you did mention Moyes, and obviously there was a stat that came up this weekend. I assume you saw it that um, at this point this season, and at this point in uh, David Moyes' season, United are actually three points worse off this season. They're actually worse than they were under Moyes results-wise. I think, frankly, I think the squad's better now. I think there's a better team there. I think they're in, they're in a much better position to push on, but it's just not happening for whatever reason. I think, yeah, I think we're going to see Van Hal under quite a lot of pressure unless the results turn around very quickly. Did I hear correct or did I read correct that um, he actually, again, and this was rumours and uh, it's sort of a bit of hearsay, that he actually wanted to resign, but Edward would have persuaded him not to or won't let him. I heard that, I think I heard that he offered to or that he was thinking about it, but... I don't trust a single rumour that goes around about what happens behind the scenes at United at the moment because more often than not, they're wrong. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that as well. But, I mean, I think what the report that's gone along with that is that Woodward doesn't want another manager to leave mid-season. Like, uh, obviously, they parted company with Moyes after 10 months. Obviously, Van Hal stayed a season longer. I don't think they'd want to make that decision now unless they absolutely have to. But I think it's getting to that stage now where they pretty much have to. I mean, United are just not they're showing no signs of improvement. I mean, the victory at Liverpool last week, as sweet a victory as it was and how the manner it came about, Liverpool were the better team. Uh, they just didn't know how to take their chances on the day. I wouldn't say United got lucky, but on another day they could easily have lost the game. That's just how the game panned out. Yeah, Van Gaal deserves credit definitely for the way he's... He may have spent over £250 million, uh, or the club have, during his tenure. But I think he's brought in a lot of young players with a lot of promise for the future. So I think that's one good thing about it. But he's he's wasting their potential at the moment by uh, shackling them. And it's just not doing United any favours at all. And if it keep, keeps on like this, they're going to be out of the top four reckoning as well. Yeah, well, I think I think that's, that's the important thing, is that really Van Gaal's basically hit his... The, the very, very minimum target that the club have for him if he gets top four this season. And that's the, what, they're five points off Spurs now? You'd have to assume that either Spurs or Leicester are the team they'd be expecting to displace in the top four rather than uh, rather than uh, Arsenal and City. I think five points is a gap that can be made up. I don't think it's quite at the... It's near the crisis point, but I don't think it's quite there yet. But of course, there was another, I think, a, a, a third giant, rabid, roided-up tiger thrown among the pigeons this weekend when um, all this talk about Jose Mourinho writing a six-page letter to apply for the job, outlining all the ways that Van Gaal's going wrong and how he'd improve them, essentially saying, I can change, I can be well-behaved, because he's a goddamn liar... <laughs> But I mean that 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 just muddies the situation even further. That was furiously denied, though, wasn't it? Quite quickly. Yeah. Did any of you believe that? I didn't. No. 
I don't believe the letter exists. I do believe that he wants the job that much and that he's very, very keen to uh, to make a move and get it. Yeah, I also think that. Um, and I, I, think, I think what the story about the letter did was bring that into focus again. I was going to ask how significant it, it would be if, if United didn't get into the top four because this is a club that's kind of last week when they um how do you pronounce it delight 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 but yeah that they're predicted to be the richest club in the world by 2017 aren't they with the premier league money that's that's due to come in next year i mean they're not going to lose any players um because they don't get into the champions league this one year they might not they might not lose players but i think not getting champions league for the second year in three would start to put players off joining yeah I think there'd be a lot of uncertainty there. Again, like like I've said previously, when have United ever gone out and bought world-class, genuine world-class players? And the most recent example of them doing that was, obviously, Schweinsteiger, but he's 31, was Di Maria the year before. And they weren't in the Champions League then. People sign on because it's Manchester United, and perhaps that would be diluted if um, if they don't get into the top four. Yeah, then maybe maybe it will have an impact, but I don't think it'll have a massive impact. Like I said, I, I think I think that if it got to the point where they were fighting City or Arsenal yes. for a player, because you know I think Bayern, Barca, and Real all kind of hold their own appeals outside of just being Champions League clubs in the same way that United do when they're in the Champions League, if that makes sense. But when you've got like a team like Arsenal City, I mean, it could be that they uh, desperately want to get into the top four so they can convince Pep to come. I think that ship sailed. The more you read about that, the more you think, well, he's, he's just nailed on to go to City, isn't he? Nobody, yeah. nobody seems to think otherwise. No, I agree. And I thought he would be tempted by that. But I think it's stupid if, if United don't go for him. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Unless, like, why would you, even if they are like planning on sticking with Van Hal for another year, what is the point of sticking with him for another year when the best coach in the world is going to go across the city? Oh, we call him Pep the best coach in the world? I, I think, think that's a... Uh... I think it's him and Mourinho. I think if he does a good job in England, he certainly would be. Yeah, I think I think it's been kind of hard for him to prove himself. That you know he's done very good things in the Bundesliga with Bayern, but I mean I'm pretty sure a monkey on a typewriter hammering out a imaginary uh, team list could do a reasonably good job at Bayern in the Bundesliga. Did Rogers do it? He's the most sought after, though, isn't he? So. Yeah, but I think that's a reputation thing, maybe more than a. Co- I mean, he's certainly a very good coach. But he's he's a very good coach who's been put in charge of very good teams. I'd, I'd be interested to see how he'd do with a team like United, who are somewhat in transition. Yeah, it's a it's a far more difficult, much bigger risk for him, isn't it, to, to yeah. do that than go to City? It's a huge risk. Right. Anyway, that's probably enough on United because uh, we said we'd talk about the title race and ha 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 ha. United in the title <laughs> race now. We've gone this long. Without talking about the, uh, without really talking about the team at the top of the league, Leicester City are continuing. It looked like they'd started to drop off, as we've said, but uh, they've come back again very strong. Win over Stoke. They're three points clear at the top now. In this mad, mad season, could Leicester do it? I never thought that they would until, until just now, really, until until this weekend's result, because you always expected them to fall off or to tire or to just drop off, and they've had. 
a little blip and now they've sort of started to win again you know every every team that i can remember that has ever won the league has a blip at some point okay and they've only had like that one they had a, a period at the start of December where everybody expected them to start dropping off when they had games against Chelsea and Everton and and they won those two games so that they didn't that wasn't their blip and their blip came after Christmas but you know every everybody everybody that wins the league has blips you know even even when Chelsea completely blitzed it in 2004-5 they still lost shockingly against Manchester City this was obviously before City were any good um when Arsenal were Invincibles. They drew a lot of games in that season. They didn't lose any games, but they did draw a lot. Twelve games, I believe. Twelve games. Yeah. So everybody, everybody has blips where they don't hit top form. And I think the fact that Leicester, the important one was against Tottenham two weeks ago, where they won one nil, because it, if Tottenham had have won that game and it had just swung the other way, Spurs would actually be top of the table now. But um, to beat Stoke three 0 as well at the weekend, that's quite a big. A big result because Stoke have been all all the while inconsistent. They have been winning games and they are tough to play against. And so to just sweep them aside three 0 was quite a statement, really. Uh, before the Arsenal game last weekend, Stoke were the second best team over the previous month, so and cool. and and had the best attack. Exactly. So it's it's um it's, it was a big statement, you know, beating Stoke in that manner is possibly more of a statement than had they played against, you know, Liverpool or United or someone like that because they were the, they were the form team. They were, And it wasn't just like a scrappy win as well. It was like a big win and Stoke didn't play well, but Leicester made sure they didn't play well. And I think what's important now is that they're playing well without Mares, who's dropped off a little bit. I know Vardy scored in that game, but he hasn't been quite as influential. So they are showing that there's more to them than just those two players. Well, I think... I think it's very important that after the run of games where they had a few iffy results that, like you say, they they got that really important win against Tottenham and it seems to have given them a new lease of life, really. And yeah, Vardy Vardy got back on the on the goal trail on, on Saturday and, and Mares, despite he's been awful the last few weeks, he's missed two penalties, looks a shadow of the player he was before then, but he's then produced a moment of just unreal brilliance um, to create a lowest goal in that, in that game as well. So I think it's... I think it says a lot about how they're set up and and probably the manager as well that they have been able to bounce back when after things haven't gone their way and that's like even their key players have, have dropped off but suddenly they've them they're back on form. Yeah, and I think more than anything I think starting to actually score goals again on the weekend is probably yeah. the the biggest thing because while they won against Spurs they didn't look particularly good in that game. Uh, and I know sign of champions winning when you're playing badly especially against good teams but um yeah, that's not. It wasn't a performance that that fills you with confidence for their future. Whereas getting back in the goals, Myra's getting back in the assists, uh, Vardy scoring. It's it's the first time the attacks looked good and coherent for about a month, and it's um, past time, frankly. And another thing about about them is they just don't lose matches. They've lost twice all season. That's that's three fewer than City and Arsenal. I don't know about about Spurs, but uh, oh yeah, Spurs have been lost three times actually, haven't they? But still, like they are tough to beat. So even though they've got a tough run of games coming up, they've still got, I can't remember who it was, they've still got to play. They've still got Arsenal to play, haven't they, away. Or else Man City away, yeah. It, it, yeah. You can't, it's their next two away games. Yeah, you, you can't bet against them going there and, and avoiding defeats. And I'm, I'm just looking at that now as well. And after, if they can come through those games having lost, say, one game, if, if, they, can, if they can stay in the hunt, their next nine games are against... 
mostly lower league opposition, bottom half opposition, until their last three games where they got United, Everton and Chelsea. If their confidence is high, they haven't got European football to contend with. So they'll have a lot of midweek breaks while other teams are playing in traveling across Europe and things like that. If there's any team that's going to put a run together, <laughs> looking at the fixtures, Leicester could really do it. I'm getting very, really convinced by them by now, just looking at this. Look at their fixtures, though. <laughs> like, generally, look at their fixtures. Yeah, it's um, it's a bit scary. Um, don't get me wrong, I think we'd all love Leicester to do it, but uh, I think we've said it before, I don't think you can ever actually be convinced. I don't think they're ever going to be favourites to win it until... It's basically mathematically certain. Can I tell you what most strikes me about them at the moment for me? Yes. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the fact that, um, you know, at the start of the season, it was a case of we'll outscore you, was how they were getting their wins. So they were winning, but they were conceding. And they had that thing where Ranieri was motivating them to keep a clean sheet with pizza. But they've actually kept one, two, three, four clean sheets in the last five games. And if you look at who they've actually played, they played. City, who are the league's top scorers, and they kept them out. They played Bournemouth, who we know have goals in them. They um, kept a clean sheet against Tottenham, who are the league's uh, third best scorers, and a clean sheet against Stoke in the last game. And you just said that they they were um, the second best informed team up to that point. Yeah, I think they were the uh, I think they were were the top scorers in the league after uh, over the last month or so. Yeah, and so the only. The only team that's actually scored against them in that run of five games is Aston Villa. <laughs> so, how do you work that out? But well, this, this is ki- this is kind of the issue. The the good run of fixtures is being pointed out, but the tends it's tended to be smaller teams that they've um, that they've tripped up against. Well, they've, they've closed the back door, and I think that's an interesting point because that, if anything, was what was going to keep them back before, and now they've stopped conceding goals, and it's it's just. It's an interesting one to keep an eye on, basically. I know that that's blindingly obvious, but speaking on a complete, complete tangent, you mentioned the uh, you mentioned Ranieri's pizza promise. Did anyone see Oscar's post-match meal after Chelsea beat Arsenal? No, I've no. never been more disgusted with a footballer in my life. It's a <laughs> plate of it's just a, a kind of plastic plate, three big slices of what looks like plain bog standard pizza, smothered in tomato ketchup. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> I've never been more disgusted. Even John Terry with the racism allegations, Luis Suarez with the racism allegations and biting people. No, that is ten <laughs> times worse. Funny you should say that, actually. I've also been disgusted by a picture that Oscar has posted on social media. But it was the one where he was hugging both his girlfriend and sister and he had <laughs> both hands on each of their butts. Oh, yeah, I've seen that one. That's a bit grim. So yeah, just uh, just don't bother following him on Instagram. You won't like it. <laughs> but anyway, Oscar having disgusting eating habits aside, I don't really think we need to be talking about Chelsea in a uh, in a conversation about the title race this season, do we? No. You uh, you need to talk about Spurs now. We <laughs> do need to talk about Spurs, and oh my god, I've kind of been avoiding it because I just it's all very exciting. I just can't bring myself to actually think of Spurs as title contenders. Because it feels like as soon as you say it, it'll stop being true. To put it out there again, I already mentioned it before. If they'd have won that game against Leicester, which was decided by a single late goal, so it could easily have gone in the opposite direction. In in a game that Spurs dominated. In a game that Spurs dominated, they would be top of the table right now with 45 points. That's how close they are to being there. 
it's with, fully, fully bizarre. You know, they, they, um, that game against Crystal Palace at the weekend was an example of why you can consider them title contenders now because it was a tough game because Crystal Palace scored first and yet they just turned it on, overcame the issues. The goalkeeper made several good saves. They got a bit lucky when um, Palace hit the bar twice in the space of about half a second, but they still won the game. Those are the kind of games that you need to win if you're going to win the title, and those are the kind of games that Spurs teams in the past would have crumbled in. It's bizarre. You say that they would have been top of the league on 45 points at the moment had they won against Leicester. I think that says something about about the state of the league this season, because last season that would have had them three points off second place and eight points off the top at this point. There's certainly a lower bar this season. In another year, Spurs probably would be um, just knocking around the top four. Every year, though, isn't it? I mean, just... Let them enjoy it, man. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> a lot more fun, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's it's fun. It's it's an absolute nightmare to write about because whatever you say, unless unless you unless you say we have no idea what's going to happen, which you can only say so often, ninety nine percent of the time you're going to be wrong. <laughs> and I'm used to being wrong ninety nine percent of the time, but I don't like having it down in writing. <laughs> I really think Spurs are in the race. Um, they're really non-Spursy. I know that's that's been a, uh, a phrase thrown around a lot this season. But I think Pochettino's uh, methods have really they bedded in. He's I've said it on here before. He's got rid of the players who were the bad eggs in the team. He's got a great core of young players. Perhaps they won't have the mental strength to go all the way. But I mean, I I, I fancy them for the Champions League now. It's just that they have a pretty big squad as well. So you think they may be able to deal with the Europa League when it comes back if they progress past Fiorentina, which they actually might not do. They have a, they have a very good chance. And I think if you want to, if you want to label somebody dark horses, I suppose it, it's, it's Tottenham because Leicester are top. So they're not really dark horses. Tottenham are playing some good football. They've got some great youngsters. They score some great goals. And... And they've got the best defence. And they've got the best defence. Does anyone have any last points they'd like to make on any of our uh, on any of our title contenders? Because we're nah. running short on time. <laughs> have we pretty much covered everything? I think we've uh, I think we've given it a pretty good dusting. Yeah. So just to have a very quick wrap up. We've established that it's almost impossible to actually pick a favourite for the Premier League title this year. But if someone was holding a gun to your head and said, "Pick a winner." Who's your team, Scott? I'm going to stick my neck out there and go with Leicester. Jamie? Based on the discussions of the last half hour, I've sort of convinced myself, and I'm going to say Tottenham. Aiden? City. And I'm not entirely convinced by that, but there you go. I'm going to stick with what I said at the start of the season and go with Arsenal, although I'm far, far from convinced. Watch now, Man United will come back and win it, won't they? <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, it's unlikely, but there's always that chance. You know, they're not that far off. Leicester could still burn out. You know, if if Mares and Vardy suddenly get injured, there's obviously there's replacements there, but they're not the same quality. They could drop. They're only then United are only seven points behind City and Arsenal. It's, you're you're an absolute mad person if you put money on the Premier League title this year. Leicester were five thousand to one in some places. <laughs> Can you mad. believe that? Right. We will be back next week, slightly later than usual, because uh, we usually record these on Monday and it's transfer deadline day, so obviously we're going to be quite busy, but it does mean that we'll be able to round up all the late deals, all the big moves, such as they are, that do go through late in the window. I've been Chris Dealey, it's goodbye from me, it's goodbye from Scott. Bye one and all. It's goodbye from Aiden. See you later. Uh, it's goodbye from Jamie.
Goodbye. Bye, everyone.